Well, hello again, everyone. This is Nurse Mo, and welcome to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. You're listening to episode 161, and today we are going to be talking about Alzheimer's disease, and I've got a fun announcement about a free five-day challenge that I am starting today, and I want you to check that out. So I'm going to talk about that at the very end, but it involves not being overwhelmed for nursing school and how we're going to get there. So it's a free five-day challenge. Stick around to the end to hear about that. Before we dive into the episode, I do want to take a moment because I need to give a shout out. So this one goes to Mendy, who says, Nurse Mo is such an engaging speaker. I'm starting nursing school in a few months, and I've been binging this podcast like crazy. I'm learning so much. I also just started Crucial Concepts Boot Camp, which is already calming my nerves by helping me feel so much more prepared. So glad I found Nurse Mo. Well, Mindy, I am so glad you found your way here as well. I'm glad you're binging the podcast, and I'm so excited to have you in boot camp. That's awesome. So for those of you listening, Crucial Concepts Boot Camp is my prep course that teaches you how to be successful in nursing school, what to expect, a whole bunch of things, and it actually goes on sale on July 12th. And if you're in my five-day free challenge, you will be getting an extra fun little bonus. I'm just saying. Okay, so today we're talking about Alzheimer's disease. So Alzheimer's disease is the form of dementia that you will see the most often. It's the leading cause of significant cognitive decline in the elderly. So it's important to know that there are three forms of Alzheimer's, though one is far and away much, much more common, and that is what is called non-hereditary sporadic also called late onset, and that accounts for most of the cases, like 70 to 90 percent. There's also early onset familial AD, and then the very, very rarest is early onset AD, and that one does not have a hereditary component. So the pathologic changes in the brain of someone with Alzheimer's ultimately cause memory loss, and progressive cognitive decline. So how this works is that there is an accumulation of and an inability to clear abnormal amyloid beta and tau proteins. I'll say that again, amyloid beta and tau protein. So if this is the first time you're hearing those terms, I'm going to spell them so that when you see them, you know what you're seeing because sometimes if you never hear a word spoken and you only see it or vice versa, when you hear it or see it in that other context, you're kind of you don't make that connection. So amyloid beta A M Y L O I D, amyloid, okay? And then tau proteins T-A-U is how tau is spelled. Okay, so when you see those written, you'll know that we're talking about the Alzheimer's disease pathophysiology. So these amyloid beta and tau proteins build up, and this leads to the development of plaques and tangles. So these plaques prevent normal neurotransmission and cause the neurons to die. 
amyloid also gets deposited in the cerebral arteries. And what do you think this does to blood flow to the brain? It's going to reduce blood flow to the brain, and that further contributes to cognitive decline. And then the presence of neurofibrillary tangles made up of those tau proteins, this also leads to cell death. With all of this, we have degeneration of cholinergic neurons leading to a loss of acetylcholine. And this is key, a loss of acetylcholine. There are also immune responses that are triggered by the presence of these abnormal proteins, the amyloid beta and tau proteins, and this leads to neuroinflammation and oxidative stress. So as a result of all of these things that are happening, the brain atrophies, the ventricles get wider, and there are changes to the basal ganglia. And as a reminder, that's that group of nuclei in the brain that's responsible for motor control, executive function, and emotions. Okay, so that's the general pathophysiology of Alzheimer's disease. The key terms here are amyloid beta proteins, tau proteins. So we get those amyloid plaques, and those tau proteins make those tangles, those neurofibrillary tangles. There's a degeneration of cholinergic neurons leading to a loss of acetylcholine. The patient has progressive memory loss and cognitive decline. Okay, so now it's time to go through Alzheimer's disease using the framework that has helped thousands of students survive nursing school, and that is the LATTE method. So L in LATTE stands for look. How does the patient with Alzheimer's look? How do they present? What do you notice about them? So when we look at Alzheimer's, it can be divided into five stages. And these stages range from mild cognitive impairment to end-stage disease. So when it's mild, it's going to start with short-term memory loss, mild memory deficits that can easily be overlooked or explained away as, you know, oh, I'm just extra forgetful right now because I've got so much going on or I'm under a lot of stress, those kinds of things. And yes, if you are like me, you think, oh my gosh, I have early onset Alzheimer's because Yes, if I don't write things down, they do not happen. But over the years, the memory loss progresses, and it culminates in a total loss of all executive function and cognition. So in addition to experiencing memory loss, the individual could also show some difficulty with things like word finding, They could have visual processing difficulties and exhibit poor concentration. Now, as Alzheimer's worsens, that memory loss is going to increase, and it becomes really difficult for this person to concentrate. They easily become disoriented and confused. They will also have increased difficulty with motor skills and eventually become bedbound and completely dependent. So individuals with Alzheimer's lose the ability also to do problem solving, and this includes math calculation. So, you know, it might be that initially you might notice that grandpa is having trouble paying his monthly bills or balancing his checkbook, things like that. 
People with Alzheimer's become unable to think in an abstract manner, and they suffer some lapses in judgment. And eventually, as it progresses, they lose the ability to communicate, suffer from mood swings that can be really quite severe, hallucinations, aggression, and yes, depression. There are also many patients that undergo personality changes as well. Um, Initially, it might be noticed by others as the individual withdrawing from social situations, uh, becoming irritable, maybe, you know, progressing to become very suspicious, showing a lack of attention even to their own personal hygiene. Many Alzheimer's patients will be especially restless at night and start to exhibit wandering behavior, which can be very, very worrisome when you look at it from, you know, a patient safety standpoint. Now, if that frontal lobe is involved, the individual may have changes in motor control, which could be exhibited as rigidity or flexion. Many patients with Alzheimer's suffer from dyspraxia, which is an impaired ability to initiate purposeful activity. They could also exhibit repetitive motions, and that repetitive motion action is called preservation. At the culmination of the disease, the individual is often emaciated due to a lack of nutrition, incontinent to urine and feces, and unresponsive or in a coma. So starting out very mild with mild short-term memory loss to a point where there is no executive function, no cognitive function, no ability to communicate, and completely dependent or even in a coma. So that's the L. And then A in LATTE stands for assess. So how will you assess an individual with Alzheimer's disease? So doing all the usual things when you're working with anyone, right? Orientation. Are you oriented to person, place, time, and situation? So when we're finding out if the patient is oriented to situation, like say we're in the hospital, right? And I say, okay, do you know what's your name? Do you know where you are? Do you know what day it is? And then I say, do you know why you're here or do you know what happened? And if they have no idea why they're in the hospital, you know, if they have no recollection that they had surgery or what have you, then they're disoriented to situation, okay? So that's what you want to ascertain. You want to assess their ability to perform their ADLs, their activities of daily living, and assess for changes in behavior and personality. And a lot of times that comes from talking with the family or the caregiver. You also want to assess their muscle strength and their motor ability, keeping an eye on things that would affect their safety. You know, you want to be able to maximize their mobility as much as possible, but you also need to make sure that they are safe. And then you can administer the MMSE, which is the mini mental state exam. And I'll include a link to that in the show notes for you guys. But a quick, even a quicker assessment to do is something called the clock test. So with the clock test, you ask the individual to draw a clock showing that it is 10 minutes past 11. And if the clock has all the features in the correct position, the time is correct, this is considered a normal result. But if any deviation is present 
And when the Alzheimer's is severe, the deviations can be extreme. Um, Any deviation, however, warrants a referral to the individual's primary care physician for further evaluation. So speaking of evaluation, let's move on to the first T in latte, which is for tests. What tests are likely to be ordered for someone who may have Alzheimer's disease? Well, unfortunately, there's not really a gold standard diagnostic test for the presence of Alzheimer's disease. The diagnosis is conducted based on assessment of the patient's cognitive function and by utilizing imaging and blood work that is done to rule out other possible causes, such as a thyroid disorder, something like a vitamin B12 disorder, or even a brain tumor. So there are new diagnostics utilizing PET scans that can detect the amyloid lesions and the tau proteins. There is also CSF testing, which can tell us if biomarkers for tau proteins or beta amyloid are present, which is supportive of a diagnosis, but not in and of itself a diagnostic tool. Okay. And then, you know, the definitive, definitive diagnosis would be if there were an autopsy after the patient has died and they can actually look at the patient's brain. Okay. Let's move on to the second T, which stands for treatments. What treatments are provided for an individual with Alzheimer's? So, Overall, when you look at the treatments for Alzheimer's, we're looking at promoting safety, that's a huge one, maximizing functional ability, and slowing the progression as much as we can. So pharmacologically, interventions are aimed at preventing the breakdown of acetylcholine. Remember, we talked about acetylcholine in the very beginning. So we want to prevent the breakdown of acetylcholine and prevent the binding of glutamate. So let's talk about acetylcholine first. Recall that acetylcholine is an essential component in neurotransmission. So by preventing acetylcholinesterase from breaking down acetylcholine, we help improve cholinergic function in patients with Alzheimer's. Basically, we're making more acetylcholine available for them. Some common cholinesterase inhibitors and cholinesterase inhibitors are the medications that are going to block or prevent acetylcholine esterase from breaking down acetylcholine. So these common cholinesterase inhibitors are denapazil, galantamine, and rivastigmine. So we can also prevent the binding of glutamate with a combination drug of denapazil and memantine. So memantine binds to NMDA receptor sites. So it prevents the binding of glutamate. Glutamate is an excitatory neurotransmitter. So patients with Alzheimer's disease have damaged nerve cells, and too much glutamate is produced. Memantine prevents the binding of glutamate and protects the nerve cells from its excitatory effects. This, therefore, decreases abnormal brain activity in patients with Alzheimer's disease. So, again, pharmacologically, we want to prevent the breakdown of acetylcholine, 
We essentially want to make more acetylcholine available, and we're going to prevent the binding of glutamate. Okay, now let's talk about some nurse-driven interventions. Definitely thinking about safety all the time, right? We're always thinking about how we can keep our patients safe. One of the big things with Alzheimer's disease is we want to avoid falls. So start by identifying and mitigating any fall risks. Do things like remove rugs and clutter from the environment, provide non-slip shoes or slippers, promote the use of handrails, walkers, other assistive devices, and always ensure that rooms have adequate lighting. If you're in an inpatient situation, place the patient in a room near the nurse's station for high visibility. You want to promote activity as tolerated, encouraging the patient to do as many of their ADLs as they can, but assisting where it is needed. Promote a healthy sleeping environment, and one of the ways you can do that is by Keeping the patient kind of active during the day, they will then hopefully get more restful sleep at night and have less of that wandering behavior. You also want to provide support to caregivers who may be really going through an enormous amount of stress and fatigue. There are some support groups for caregivers and even ones that are specific to caregivers of patients with Alzheimer's disease that are an absolutely wonderful resource. So now let's move on to E and education and how we educate the family or the caregivers. So here are some tips to prevent that wandering that we talked about. So you can add door locks in places where the individual is not likely to notice them, such as up really high. You can even do something as simple as cover door handles so they're not easily visible, you know, putting just draping a washcloth over the door handle or a pot holder or something like that, an oven mitt. Um, you could use alarms that sound when doors opened, things like that. Always encouraging the use of a medic alert ID bracelet or necklace or what have you, because if the individual does, you know, wander or get out on their own, they are going to need assistance to find their way back home or back to the care facility, wherever they may be. Teach the individual to avoid stimulants such as caffeine. Always looking at ways to maximize nutrition with the patient's favorite foods that are easy for them to eat. That's going to be the best way to get nutrition into them. And while they're eating, if you can minimize distractions, that's also very helpful. Promote physical activity. Again, that's going to help promote better sleep. And then here's a really big one. Teach the family or the caregiver not to argue with the agitated or hostile patient. They should remain calm and avoid escalating the behavior. This can be hard for people to do, especially if they're really undergoing a lot of caregiver stress, caregiver fatigue, but it's really important. And then the other thing would be conveying the importance of developing a plan to manage finances and other legal issues such as having a durable power of attorney in place, advanced directives, all those sorts of things so that the individual is taken care of when they can no longer make decisions for themselves. 
So that is your short overview of Alzheimer's disease, the key things that you need to know to do well in your exams or your NCLEX or write a care plan for a patient in clinical. Okay, so let's get to the fun stuff. Study time is over. Let's talk about the fun stuff. So again, I've got that free five-day challenge started today, but you can still get in on it. Um, I will put the link in the show notes for where you go to sign up for that. You'll get an email from me with the details on how to get into the Facebook group for the challenge and access the challenge materials. So I will put the link into the show notes for that. And the whole theme of the challenge is don't get overwhelmed, get organized. So we're going to just do simple actionable things every day for five days that can just make you feel like you kind of got your life and your, you know, your systems a bit more under control so that when school starts, you're feeling less overwhelmed. And the best way for me to feel not overwhelmed is to get organized. So if you're like me, you're going to love this five-day challenge. So I'll put the link to that in the show notes. And again, everyone who's in the five-day challenge who joins boot camp gets an extra fun little bonus. And that extra fun little bonus is a 60-day free access to my private podcast called Study Sesh, which is the coolest thing I think I've ever done. So if you really enjoy audio learning, doing the pod quizzes that I have at the end of some episodes, things like that, you're going to absolutely flip for study sesh. So I'll include a link to that as well. Plus, there's other awesome bonuses as well. All that information will be available for you inside that free five-day challenge. So I really hope to see you guys there. And then Bootcamp does go on sale July 12th with our biggest discount ever. We got awesome bonuses. It's going to be amazing. I really want to see you there. I'll include the link to that in the show notes as well. So there's going to be a lot of links in the show notes today. But I really want you guys to have all this information because if you're looking at starting nursing school and you're feeling uncertain or anxious or doubtful, none of that is necessary we don't have to start nursing school that way. I want you to start confident, prepared, on top of your game, everything running at top level so that you can be the best student that I absolutely know that you are. Okay, so that was our talk about Alzheimer's today. And then on the 12th, we have a bonus episode where I talk with a nursing student who has four children and just has some great tips and advice for managing nursing school as a busy parent and staying on top of everything. So we're going to have that as a bonus episode on the 12th. And then next Thursday, we will be talking about some key topics to review before nursing school starts so that you can really set yourself up for total nursing school success. And I'm not even talking about just before first semester. These would be things I would review before every semester because they come into play all the time. So I'll see you back here next week. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.